Good evening, everyone. Do grab um, a Bible and um, a handout. We're going to be looking at the Bible throughout this uh, talk, and it'll be helpful to have one in front of you. Now, I'm really glad um, on the eve of a Christian Union Events Week and uh, the eve of our Church Mission Month, we can think about this topic tonight God's mission and the church. And I want to begin by asking you to uh, discuss the question on the sheet at the top of the first page. When you think about evangelism, evangelism, evangelism being speaking about Jesus to those who don't yet know him, do you normally think of it as a solo sport or a team sport? Is it more like fishing or more like football? Um, just have a chat around tables. What do you normally think when you think about evangelism? I'll just give you a minute to discuss that. Okay, let's come back together. Hope that got you thinking a little bit about this topic. I don't know if you're like me, but I think for me, I often think of uh, evangelism and mission as a bit of a solo sport uh, that I occasionally bring other people into, but I think the primary thing often is, is the solo uh, nature of it. It's something I need to do to be a faithful Christian. I need to get out there and speak about Jesus. And of course, there's something right about that, isn't there? We do need to be thinking about our own individual responsibility uh, to talk about Jesus with those that we know. We do want to be faithful in speaking. I thought about that last week, but that's not all there is to it. And I want to help us tonight to broaden our understanding of mission by thinking about our mission together. And I hope that will be an encouragement to us uh, this evening. Let me remind you uh, where we've got to so far in the series, where we started and where we are now. Um, you might remember in the very first week, um, it feels like a long time ago now, before NYC, um, we thought about God's mission to bring blessing to the earth um, through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you remember that talk as we looked at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, then at the end of the Bible, Revelation. God's mission is to bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth through his promised seed, Jesus Christ. In week two, we saw that this blessing comes to people as disciples of Jesus make other disciples of Jesus. We looked at Matthew 28, this is who we are, we're disciple-making disciples. And we, we saw that promise as well, didn't we, in Matthew 28, that Jesus will be with us to the very end of the age. In week three, we saw that there are lots of things that hold us back from speaking about Jesus. There are idols in our heart, idols like comfort, status, ultimately self-love and we identify some of those things and then last week as Neil has mentioned already uh, we began to address some of those fears and to think about how we can honour Christ as Lord. So now this week God's mission and the church how does the local church relate to God's mission in the world? Well I want us to understand uh, the local church in three ways tonight the local church is the fruit of the gospel, local churches proclaim the gospel and then thirdly, local churches display the gospel. And then we'll think about some of the implications that flow from those things. So um, first point, local churches are the fruit of the gospel. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. There are lots of places we could have gone to uh, to see this point together, local churches being the fruit of the gospel. I think Ephesians 2 is a brilliant place to go to. And the basic point I want us to grasp is that salvation is something individual, but it's never just individual. It's also about the community that God brings us into. It's about us and God, and it's about us and one another. Now, the vertical dimension, us and God, has to come first. And this is where Paul begins in verses 1 to 10 of Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Just have a look at verse 1 with me, Ephesians 2 um, verse 1. Paul here describes our state 
um, before we uh, were made alive in Jesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now there is no one more hopeless or more lifeless than someone who is dead. And Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were cut off from life. You were unable to resurrect yourselves. Nat and I have been watching a, a series on Netflix which was recommended by Jack and Esme uh, Graham. It's called Lupin. I'm sure there's a French way of saying that. It's a French um, series and it's about a gentleman thief. That's how he describes himself. He's suave, he's clever, he's a thief who you grow to love even though he uh, breaks the Eighth Commandment episode after episode, do not steal. Um, and at a couple of points in the series he, he fakes his own death. He appears dead but actually he's just unconscious or something else happens. I won't say any more um, in case you want to watch the, the series. But when Paul says here that we are dead in our sins, he's not pretending. He is saying we were spiritually lifeless. We were without life, spiritually speaking. As he says in verse 12, we were without hope and without God in the world. That was what we were like. But then um, the turning point comes in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So have a look at verses 4 uh, to 7 with me. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. These might be familiar verses, but they're wonderful verses. Jesus Christ has reversed our situation and given us life. When we were dead in our transgressions, Jesus raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. By grace we have been saved. And because we were dead, the end of verse 8 makes absolute sense. Have a look at the end of verse 8. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This salvation didn't come from us, spiritually dead people, it came from God who made us alive. So that's the us and God reality that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, but what follows in this chapter is the description of the horizontal reality between us and one another. Having been reconciled to God, we are now reconciled to one another and that horizontal aspect is inseparable from um, the vertical. Have a look at verse 14. Paul says, he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. When Paul talks about the two groups, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles and he says that God has made them one. The hostility that existed between these groups has been abolished through the death of Jesus. And this new reconciliation, this new state of affairs is so complete that Paul can use the language of verse 15. Verse 15, God's purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity. As one writer puts it, a third race, a people made up of Jews and Gentiles now brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 19, we're no longer foreigners and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with God's people. We're a holy temple, verse 21, being built together into a place where God dwells. Do you see Paul moving from that vertical relationship with God now to the horizontal? The two are inseparable. 
Now let's think about this with um, the analogy of adoption. This is something that the writer Jonathan Lehman helped me to see from this chapter. Um, some of you know that one of my sisters um, is adopted. Um, I have two sisters and a brother. One of my sisters is adopted. She's now 11. Um, she was adopted by my parents when she was uh, very young. And that adoption process meant two things for my little sister. It meant, first of all, that she was given a new father and a new mother in my parents. She became a daughter to my mum and dad with all the rights and privileges, privileges and love that came with that. But she was also, at the same time, through that adoption, given a new family. She was given two new brothers and a sister. She had a, a place then at the family dinner table. So being daughter, a daughter of my parents came first, but flowing from that came this new relationship with um, the family. And that's what's happened with our salvation. God has adopted us into his family. He's saved us. He's reconciled us to himself through Christ and he's given us a new family. We now have brothers and sisters that we didn't have before. And that means local churches are made up of, uh, made up of Christian believers are not some kind of sideshow to God's mission. They're the fruit of God's mission. So as soon as we believe in Christ, we now belong to God's family, his new family, and we'll want to be there. This is who we are. And so this is now where we belong. So one simple application of that for us, if we're Christian, is to be at church and to express that reality that is already true of us. Being at church is a bit like being at the family dinner table. It's where we want to be. We want to be with our family because that's now who we are. It's natural and normal for a Christian. And knowing this truth um, also means that we need to think about our mission in corporate ways. If a friend of ours becomes a Christian, we'll want to bring them into the community of God's people, won't we? Because this is where they now belong. We'll want to think through how to help our friend understand the importance of the local church and to get involved in church life. We won't be embarrassed about church. We'll be excited about it because through the church, we get to see the fruit of God's saving work in action. I don't know whether you sort of feel this as you walk into church on Sundays, but just look around and remember as you walk into church and as you sit here tonight that um, the people around you are the fruit of God's saving work. Uh, we gather together as God's people that he has brought together. So that's the first thing. Local churches are the fruit of the gospel. Secondly, local churches proclaim the gospel. Every Sunday morning as we uh, meet together as a church family, uh, we would love every Christian sitting there to be thinking, oh, I wish my friend was here at church to hear what we're hearing this morning. We want that to be the case every Sunday um, uh, as we gather together um, for church. We want um, every Sunday to be a time when we're glad uh, to bring a friend along to church. We want the welcome to be good. We want the coffee to be good when we have it. Uh, we want the buildings to be clean. We want the guitar to be in tune. Well done, Joe, tonight. Most of all, we want the gospel to be preached, don't we? We want the gospel to be preached every week and for every Sunday to be a time where a non-believer can sit there and hear the good news about Jesus crucified and risen. I don't know about you, but I sometimes talk to other Christians in other churches and they seem embarrassed to invite their friends to church. And part of that, I think, is because they're embarrassed to be there themselves. They think, oh, God, you know, I wouldn't be able to bring a friend to this because of what's being said or how things are being done. And that's a sad thing to think, isn't it? Maybe it's a church that's not welcoming or where the gospel is not preached. 
But if a church is wanting to be welcoming and wanting to preach the gospel, then that's a church that will want our friends to be there to experience. And so we'll have in our back pocket the question, would you like to come to church with me? We'll want to ask that of people and be excited to ask that question. So let's think a bit more about this. Why is church a good place for friends to hear the gospel? Why not just go and share the gospel somewhere else and then maybe eventually bring them to church? Why is church a good place for friends to hear the gospel? Let me give you three reasons. The first is this, because every week we will hear the gospel of Jesus as the word is preached. Every week we will hear the gospel of Jesus as the word is preached. Whatever part of the Bible we're looking at, Jesus, we, we pray and we trust, will be front and centre uh, to that part of the Bible. And we know that, don't we, from Luke 24 um, that we've looked at before, um, quite recently at church, I think. Luke 24, have a look on the sheet, verses 44 and 45. Jesus talking to his disciples, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus refers back to the Old Testament scriptures and says, they're all about me. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, in other words, all of them, they're all about Jesus, all about his person, his work, his death, his resurrection. Now sometimes we're worried about what a friend might think about the Bible as they walk into church for the first time. What if the passage is about the reality of sin? What if the passage is about marriage and sexuality? What if the passage is about the complete sovereignty of God over all things? What, what is our friend going to think about those things? I've had that before where I've had a friend in church, or I've looked over and seen another person in church and thought, I'm not sure whether this is the best passage for them to be hearing. But we need to trust God, don't we? Because every part of his word is about Jesus. And our preachers will try very hard to uh, proclaim the gospel from every part of the Bible, which means every Sunday is a great Sunday to be bringing a friend to church. And our Mission Month Sundays coming up, two Sundays are a particularly good time uh, to be doing that as we work hard to make the gospel clear. Second thing to remember on this, um, you know, why is it a church good place for friends to hear the gospel? Is because God will use the preaching of the word to save his people. God will use the preaching of his words to save his people. Give you a moment to write that down. Now we see that, don't we, from Romans 10, verse 17 on the sheet. Consequently, faith, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the words about Christ. Do we believe that? How will people have faith? How will people come to know Jesus? It's as they hear the word about Christ. And so if you're not in the habit of praying this, please do pray that every Sunday as we gather together would be a time of salvation for some people who are there with us hearing the gospel who don't yet know the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, um, church is a good place for our friends to hear the gospel because the gospel is proclaimed as the whole church speaks to one another. The gospel is proclaimed as the whole church speaks to one another.
Now at NYC, we um, thought about the rather surprising reality that we are all prophets. I um, don't know whether that stuck with you from NYC. Every one of us has a role to play as a prophet, as we declare the praises of God to other people. And this is one way that those who don't know Jesus will come to know him. So just have a look at 1 Corinthians 14 on the sheet. Here is Paul describing a gathering of Christians taking place, an ordinary church gathering. He says, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, we could spend a whole talk on just these two verses in 1 Corinthians 14. But I think what we can get from this is that ordinary Christians, as they sing, pray, speak the gospel to one another on a Sunday, as they gather together, in other words, prophesy to one another as they speak the word, we will act as a witness to any unbelievers who are there in the gathering. Some will hear the words that are spoken. Some will be convicted of the state of their own hearts before the holy gods, and they will fall down and worship the Lord. So we need to have confidence that every Sunday, as we hear the gospel preached, that is a wonderful place to invite friends to come and hear. There's more to it than that. I want to um, just take you to uh, this third point now, because the local church is not only the place where the gospel is proclaimed, it's also the place that displays the gospel of Jesus. It puts the gospel on display. The gospel is both heard and the implications of the gospel are also seen in the life of a church family. I was struck recently by something I read in this book, You're Not Crazy. Um, you know, I like to read books like this sometimes, just reminds me of my sanity. <laughs> You're not crazy. Um, and these two authors, Sam Albury and Ray Ortland, uh, they're writing in this book about the way that the gospel changes and shapes a Christian community. And they write this, which I found um, very striking. The church isn't just meant to be a new community, it's meant to be a new kind of community. We've seen from Ephesians 2 that Jesus brings us into a community as he reconciles us to God and to one another. But it's important to see that this is a new kind of community that God is forming with certain features and emphases shaped by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And it is as a church leans into those realities and those differences and as they're shaped more and more by the gospel that it will be a clearer and clearer display of the gospel to, to others. Our words and our life together will put on display the message that we believe. So let's think about um, this a little bit more. Let's think about this first point. A local church displays the gospel as we love one another. Could you turn to John um, chapter 13 with me, John 13. It's on page 1082, 1082. I want to look down there at verse uh, 34 and 35. Jesus speaking to his disciples and he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
Now let's think about these words uh, together. They come at the end of a chapter where Jesus is in um, an upper room with his disciples hours before he goes to his death. And it's a very famous chapter. If you just uh, flick back a page, um, just to the start of chapter 13, you'll see the heading there. Uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. That's what's going on in this chapter. Jesus has got down on his knees, he's wrapped a towel around his waist, and he's washed his disciples' feet. He's taken on the job of a lowly servant and served those who should be serving him. And so with that in mind, I want you to just have a chat around tables about um, this question. What is new about the command that Jesus gives in verse 34 and 35? What is new about that command? Because God has said at various points in the Old Testament that we should love others. That seems quite basic. But now Jesus says, a new command I give you. So the question is, what is new about the command in verse 34? Have a chat around tables. The standard has changed now and those words of Jesus, as I have loved you, now change the way we think about what it means to love others. We've seen how Jesus loves people in chapter 13, haven't we? And we're going to see how he does it. And it's worth thinking, how has Jesus loved us? And therefore, how should we love others? We could say many things about this, couldn't we? Jesus has loved us sacrificially. He has loved us generously. He has loved us unashamedly. He has loved us completely. He has loved us at great cost to himself. He has loved us with his time, his words, with his very life. He has loved us patiently. He has loved us consistently. He has loved us even as we've sinned against him. There are many things we could say, aren't there, about how has Jesus loved us? And that puts shape and, I guess, kind of flesh on the bones of what it means to now love one another. And if we love one another like this, in this new counter-community called the church, then people will see that we are Jesus' disciples. They'll see something different in the way that we treat one another. They will see us live out the truths that we believe. Our life together, our love for one another, will put the gospel on display. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is a local church displays the gospel through all the other one another's. Now at our next weekender in April, uh, we're going to be digging into these things in a little bit more depth together and thinking about the one another commands in the New Testament. So we've, we've thought at our last weekender about living vertically, if you remember. Now we're going to think about living horizontally and uh, think about the one another commands. But just think about some of them that the New Testament mentions. Welcome one another, bear with one another, share one another's burdens, pray for one another, show hospitality to one another, forgive one another, honour one another, rebuke one another, on it goes. So God gives us lots of ways that we live out our lives now as this new community around the Lord Jesus. And if we're serious about following those commands, then our life together will be radically different to any other community on the face of the planet. We'll be a new kind of community a community that some people won't like, but that they'll find very hard to ignore. So local churches are the fruit of the gospel, local churches proclaim the gospel, and local churches put the gospel on display. So let's think about um, just three implications as we, as we come to an end of what we've seen. The first is this, we need to think corporately when we think about mission. 
Flo, if you could just pop that diagram on the screen, that would be great. Uh, we had a discussion as a group of elders a few months ago, and we thought a bit about this diagram, uh, which is also on the sheet. It's something that Nathan put together for us. And he helped us think through our evangelism um, and to think about how we're, how we're doing as a church. And we've got these two axes on the diagram. The vertical axis is asking the question, are we committed to evangelism or are we disengaged? And then the horizontal axis is asking the question, do we think individually or do we think corporately? So let's just go through the diagram. If we're in the top left of the diagram, we're committed to this. We want to speak about Jesus, but we're only thinking about the individual aspect of it. Then we might think something like this. It's all down to me and it's the only thing that matters. If we're in the bottom left of the diagram, we'll be thinking individualistically, solo sport, but also be disengaged. My life, is not a, it, my life is about me, not about making disciples of Jesus. If we're in the bottom right of the diagram, uh, we're disengaged, but we're thinking about the church doing this, we might say, it isn't my gift, so I'll leave it to the experts. But if we're in the top right of the diagram, we're committed to this, and we're also thinking about the corporate life of the church, we might say something like, we're in this together, and I can play my part. Maybe just mark down next to uh, one of these four where you think your thinking tends to most often be. Now hopefully what we've seen throughout this series and particularly what we've seen tonight will push us more into that top right hand corner of the diagram. That's been the purpose really of, of tonight's talk. We're in this together and I can play my part. And whether you feel like the most gifted evangelist or not, and I don't think there are many Christians um, who feel like the most gifted evangelist, by the way. I'm not sure whether there'd be many people who put up their hand for that. Or whether you're extroverted or introverted, shy or outgoing, quiet or loud, a new Christian or a more mature Christian, we're in this together and I can play my part. I find it very liberating to realise that, that we're in a team sport. I'm not fly fishing out on a boat on my own with nobody else. I'm partnering together, shoulder to shoulder with my church family, praying, speaking, living out the gospel, working with each other, inviting others to come and hear and to come and see. So we need to think more corporately when we think about our mission. Secondly, um, we've already talked about this a little bit, we need to invite our friends to church. We're always ready and eager to welcome new people to church, whether they have some knowledge of Christianity or no knowledge of Christianity. Um, hopefully if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you felt something of that welcome that we want to give to people um, in our city. And it's worth remembering and thinking, you know, as we talk to people about faith and as we have conversations in our halls, as we talk to people in the corridors, in uh, lecture theatres, in seminar groups about what we believe, Let's be ready for that simple question. Would you like to come to church with me this Sunday? And you can follow it up with um, anyone is welcome. And um, that's what I often say to people. There are always people with us investigating Christianity. You would be very welcome to come and find out more about Jesus. And as they come along, not, they don't only hear the message of the gospel. They also begin to see what it might look like to belong to this community of those who believe the gospel. And as we've said, our prayer is that that would be a very attractive thing even as it might be a very strange thing. So can I encourage you, we're about to go into a, a CU events week, um, in particular for you guys, have this question in mind, to think beyond the events week and think, can I bring somebody along to church so they might continue to hear the gospel and to see the gospel lived out? Then the third thing, I'm sure there's lots of other implications you could, you could think about this evening. Um, 
introduce your non-Christian friends to your Christian friends. Now, I think sometimes at uni there can be a bit of a divide between uh, our sort of church friends and CU friends over here and then our um, other friends over here, maybe in societies or course mates or flatmates or whatever. Um, but I think over the years I've seen it's been very fruitful um, in evangelism when there's a mingling of those two groups where it doesn't feel like you're the only Christian who knows this person or these, this group of people. You actually have several Christians who are speaking about Jesus, modelling what it means to trust in Jesus to those that you're trying to reach. So the question is, how could you bring friends together? How could you introduce some of your friends who aren't Christian to those who are? How could you work together to love, pray, speak to those that you want to see come to know Jesus? You might be able to think of people in this room who are in the same course as you, maybe in the same societies as you. Have you thought together about how you might pray and witness to Jesus in those contexts that you're in? Well, I hope this talk has got you thinking a bit about the, the corporate aspect of God's mission in the world um, and to help you remember that we're in this together and all of us can play our part. Let me pray and then I'll hand back over to Neil. Our Father, we do thank you that when you save us um, as those who are dead in our sin, you bring us to know the Lord Jesus, you give us life in him. And you also then bring us into a new people, a new gathering of people who are gathered around Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Father, for our church family. We thank you for our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ that you have uh, brought us into. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see our mission in this world uh, in more corporate terms rather than individualistically. Father, help us to work together, to pray for and with one another uh, for the mission that you've given us in our city um, and in this world. Thank you for the precious gift of Jesus. Thank you for the precious gift of a church family. And Father, please would we be ready and willing to share uh, the message of the gospel with those who don't yet know it so that they too might come into this wonderful community around the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.